This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to the Andrew Giuliani Show. Excited to be with you here again after uh, a lot of chatter about last week's episode uh, and considering everything that is still going on with our number one ally, Israel. I think it's so important to continue to talk about Israel and our support for Israel, where the American government should be on this, where the world should be on this. And there are a whole lot of topics that I want to talk about with that um, and how appeasing Iran has failed Today is Transition Day. Now, I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about the JCPOA, otherwise known as the Iran deal. In the JCPOA, they declare October 18th, 2023, eight years after the deal was adopted, to be Transition Day. Again, not talking about gender, having to do exactly with this Iran deal. We'll talk about how appeasing Iran has failed eight years after that deal was adopted and as sanctions continue to be dismissed on Iran while they are sponsoring Hezbollah, Hamas, these terrorist organizations that are committed to not just eliminating and eradicating Jews, uh, but ending America as they know it, death to America being one of the main chances. Also want to talk about Palestinian refugees. And where do they go? Saudi Arabia is not taking them. Jordan, Egypt, are they going to be the U.S.'s burden, as we've seen with other migrants over the last couple of years? And I want to end today by talking about Holocaust survivors, who one of the honors that I've had working for President Trump was his appointment of me to the U.S., Holocaust Museum, the board of the U.S. Holocaust Museum. And uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, a a few dozen Holocaust survivors gathered by the museum to release uh, what I thought was a very poignant and timely statement. So we will play that for you, and I'll talk a little bit about that and the involvement and the importance of never forgetting, as that is what the museum, and you know, we talk about that on September 11th here. Uh, I'll get into that as we get a little bit later into the episode. But eight years ago from the Iran deal, as it's so infamously known, being signed and passed, it's apparent that appeasing Iran has completely failed. Last week, I covered the sanctions that the Trump administration placed on Iran. We talked about how the Trump administration placed 1,500 different sanctions, whether it be on aircrafts, or vessels, or individuals, or banks on Iran over the course of the Trump presidency. That averages out to over one sanction a day. Yet still, the Biden administration continues to say that the $6 billion that was released just a few weeks ago, more than two and a half years into Joe Biden's presidency, is the responsibility of the Trump administration. It's tough to believe that anybody would actually buy that. I believe that political actors would say that, but how could anybody really buy that when you look at a Trump administration who continued to put sanction after sanction on Iran? They called it the maximum pressure campaign on Iran. 
And you saw the effect of that. We covered this with our graphs last week where you saw that Iran actually was producing before the Trump administration 2.5 million barrels a day of oil for export. That went down to less than a half million million barrels a day for export on export under the Trump administration. To move for, forward further into that, if you look in 2022, Iran actually ended up getting only 15 billion dollars from those oil exports by 2022. So 2020, 15 billion dollars from those oil exports. By 2022, that number was up to 54 billion, almost 40 billion dollars more, almost three and a half times, more than three and a half times more that Iran was able to receive under the Biden administration, under these laxed sanctions than under the Trump administration. So I mentioned that today is transition day. Again, not talking about gender over here. I'm sure that probably in the next couple of years, the Biden administration, one of the reasons why we need to end the Biden administration in the next 14 months is because we may end up having legitimate gender transition days to celebrate here in the United States uh, of America and maybe in our schools. But this is something that is, um, I would say, sinister in a different way. I don't want to judge it as as or more or less sinister, but certainly sinister in a different way. Because what this does is this is the sunset, the ending of many more sanctions on Iran. These sanctions were on ballistic missile testing as well as uranium enrichment. Uh, and it was scheduled to end eight years after Adoption Day. Adoption Day was the day that the JCPOA was adopted and signed by the Obama administration. Now, we can look at what this Iran deal has done for our allies, for the United States of America, for Iran, for our enemies like Russia, like China, like Hezbollah, like Hamas. And let's figure out whether or not this has been beneficial to the United States of America. Or has it been beneficial to our adversaries like Russia, like Hamas, like Hezbollah, like China? Let's go to the Russia-Ukraine war and something that Congress and the Biden administration uh, have been supporting with tens and tens of billions of dollars of American taxpayer funding. Now, we continue to talk about sending more and more money over to Ukraine uh, in order to support the Ukrainians. Unlike many of my conservative friends, I do actually think that there is uh, an importance to supporting Ukraine. I have been of the belief that we need to have a full account. The American taxpayer who is paying for this deserves a full account of every single dollar and where it's going. And that's where until we actually see that, until we see where those dollars, where that cash to Ukraine has gone, um, that's where I say we need to have more financial restraint on this. So I'm not necessarily against supporting Ukraine and even supporting Ukraine with taxpayer dollars, but I am of the belief that we as the taxpayers deserve to have a line-by-line -line accounting of where those taxpayer dollars are going. Because if it is in fact to support Ukrainian citizens from being mauled by Russia in Ukraine, and I'm for it. If it's for lining the pockets of Biden's allies in Ukraine, then I am absolutely against it.
And we have seen different studies come out recently, even by left-leaning think tanks in Washington, D.C., saying that the opportunity for corruption in the Russia-Ukraine war is through the roof. But one of the things that's so important to remember with all this is what Iran has actually done in this conflict. And this is kind of, I will call it full circle here, but this certainly kind of can show that Iran really is a main sponsor of Russia in this war. Iran has been providing drones to Russia throughout their war, their offensive in Ukraine, really their genocidal offensive in Ukraine in terms of what they are trying to do in Ukraine. Now, if you look at the JCPOA and this transition day that has now come up with these ballistic missiles, one of the main deterrents from Iran actually giving these ballistic missiles to their allies, which is Russia, to use against Ukraine, has been the thought that maybe some in Europe, maybe the United States of America, would look at the JCPOA, would look at the fact that Iran was not going to give these in the JCPOA ballistic missiles to Russia, to adversaries of the United States of America, and say, you know, we are going to sanction you for that. Well, that has now sunsetted. So that has now ended. So now there is less restraint from Iran from actually giving these ballistic missiles to Russia. So I ask the Biden administration, I ask our friends in Congress, I ask Democrats, if we really want to support Ukraine, why aren't we sanctioning Iran? Why aren't we putting maximum pressure? Why aren't we putting snapbacks on Iran? Now you say, well, look, this has sunsetted. The JCPOA has ended. The agreement is over. The U.S. pulled out of the agreement. Well, we have other allies, the EU and Europe, that can basically put these snapback provisions on if one country, one of the countries in the agreement chooses to put that in. Now, the countries that are in the JCPOA agreement include the United States of America, who pulled out but was in it, uh, the UK, France, Germany was involved in it, uh, and obviously China and Russia and Iran, who would not do that. I may be missing a European country. I know I have it in here. United States, France, Germany, UK, Russia, China, or Iran. No, got it right there. So if any one of the countries votes to put snapback provisions on there, it's called a reverse engineered veto, and they can do that. So they have the option. These countries have the option to do that. And judging by what Iran has used their drones for, how they have used drones to help Russia in the war in Ukraine, destroying their citizens, Zelensky should absolutely be looking and saying, we need you to put snapback sanctions on Iran now because they are aiding Russia. And if you don't do this, then guess what? They're going to send ballistic missiles and they're going to send much more high-performance artillery to the Russians in order to aid them to try to eliminate Ukrainians. So to me, my question is very simple. As the Biden administration looks to aiding Ukraine, instead of sending American taxpayer dollars over there without a full account, which could be an option if we had a full account, but we don't, why not just put snapback provisions on Iran? It will help Ukraine. It will hurt Russia. It will make it tougher for Russia to get 
what they need, certainly from Iran. So that's one angle of this. The second thing is, it's obvious. And we talked about this, and you've heard this time and time again. In the JCPOA, it talks about not sponsoring terrorism around the world against American interests. Well, we see what they've done with Hamas. We see what they're doing with Hezbollah. And we see that Iran has done everything that they can to arm these terrorists that talk about eliminating not just the state of Israel, but Jews off the face of the earth. We've seen what they've done in equipping them, in equipping these groups. This is obviously, obviously a violation of the Iran deal, of the JCPOA. And there is absolutely everything in that agreement, absolute reason for the UK, for France, for Germany, or the United States of America to say, put the snapback sanctions on them. We are going to now put maximum pressure on Iran. That way, our allies, Ukraine, our allies, Israel, that way, they are not fighting terrorists, Hamas, Hezbollah, or basically maniacs like Putin and Russia who are being funded by Iran. So this is as obvious as it gets. It's a way to save the American taxpayer dollars, still supporting our allies in Ukraine, supporting Israel. And I think the only thing that prevents the Biden administration from doing this is the fact that they would have to admit that the JCPOA, that the Iran deal was an absolute failure, was one of the worst foreign policy decisions, not just of the 21st century, not just of the last hundred years, not just in American history, but in world history. When you look at everything that this has provided Iran, everything that this has provided our enemies, there's no way to objectively look at this and say this has been successful for American interests. There's no way to look at this when you look at Israel. Remember when Benjamin Netanyahu, when Obama was in the White House and he came to speak to a joint session of Congress, came to speak to a joint session of Congress, begging Congress, not begging them to push back on this JCPOA. I know that Chuck Schumer recently has been taking a victory lap, if you will call it that, saying that he's so proud of voting against the JCPOA that's still passed. But I mind you, as the minority leader at the time, Chuck Schumer looked the other way when all those Democrats ended up voting for it. He looked the other way. It was as obvious as possible. And he could have actually taken a stand. He could have used his will to whip votes and to say, this is so important to me that I'm not going to let my fellow Democrats or enough of my fellow Democrats vote for this. I'm going to tell them. But no, he actually took the coward's way out on this. He said, I am not going to be the deciding vote. I'm going to vote against it because I know too many of my constituents will be unhappy, but I understand that other Democrats are going to vote for it, and I am fine with that. So Chuck Schumer, you're a coward when it comes to this. It's as simple as possible. So these snapback provisions should absolutely be put on this. When you look at the JCPOA, it's been an objective failure. And 
the U.S. needs to take a maximum pressure strategy on Iran, just like the Trump administration did. It was one of the main successes of the Trump administration, and it helped to protect Israel because you were not strengthening the Hamases, the Hezbollahs of the world. You were, you were really just taking out their number one adversary in Iran and not giving them the funds to be able to circulate this to terrorist groups. And you're making it tougher for the Russias of the world to be able to be aided by Iran. Remember, when you put all these sanctions on, that's less money. That's less, if you will, discretionary terrorist spending that Iran has on giving to Hamas, giving to Hezbollah, into this. So I want to go on to these Palestinian refugees. And one of the things that I've seen recently is Egypt won't take the over 1 million refugees uh, into Egypt from Gaza. And we've seen that Israel has dropped flyers, dropped leaflets, warning uh, citizens in Gaza to get out because they are going to take defense, the defensive, defensive measures. Israel is going to take the defensive measures of eliminating Hamas in Gaza as they not just have every right, as they have every obligation to their citizens to do. They would be negligent if at this point they did not go and try to eliminate the cancer that exists that is Hamas. And then eliminate the cancer that exists that is Hezbollah. There's enough of this stuff. It's not just a right. It's a duty to their citizens. It's a duty to Jews really around the world. And thank, really, to be honest, if you want to look at it, it's a duty to Americans as well to be able to protect Americans. When you think about our open border and the potential for terrorists that have come into the country over the last two and a half, three years, uh, it's very scary when you align this with what has happened in Israel over the last couple of weeks. More than 600 suspected terrorists have been apprehended at the United States border over the last few months. Think about that. 600. You have to ask, with the millions and millions, now over 6 million illegal migrants that have come into the United States of America over the last three years, how many have not been apprehended? How many are right in our backyard now and are waiting to act on the next day of rage? Maybe they're willing, maybe they're, they're going to act in more of a sneak attack kind of a way. Uh, but when you look at this, I wonder if the Biden administration, because I've heard some whispers and I've heard some rumors about this. Now, there's been some pushback, but if the Biden administration will start accepting refugees from Gaza. Now, you can look at this a couple of different ways. I've heard people say that um, as a way to kind of defend the Palestinian state of affairs, that a Palestinian baby is just as righteous, is just as, uh, just as due to uh, a safe life as an Israeli baby or an American baby. Of course, I don't disagree with that. There's no child that should have to grow up in a state of war, in a state of conflict. No child that should be beheaded which is exactly what these Hamas terrorists did to these Israeli babies last weekend. But that's kind of a non sequitur if you look at it. 
course we agree with that. Of course Israel agrees with that. It's getting off the subject, which is, it's not Israel. It's not the United States of America that is coming after civilians, is raping women, is killing and crushing Palestinian babies. It's Hamas terrorists that are doing that to Israelis, that are saying death to America, that are saying Israel and Jews don't have a right to exist. So don't get distracted by that argument. Of course we agree with that, and we always will agree with that. The problem lies with the education then of those Palestinians, with the education of those civilians who exist in Gaza or under Hezbollah's control. Because they have been told for decades and decades and decades that one of the obligations of their life is to kill Jews. One of the most important things in their life is to make sure that Jews do not have the right to exist, do not have the right to breathe the free air, the same air that you breathe. Until that philosophy, that toxic, cancerous philosophy is rooted, it is uprooted and taken out, then there's nothing, there's nothing that you can do for American citizens I should say there's nothing you could do for Palestinians that is going to be beneficial to merging them with American citizens. It's one of the reasons why Egypt won't take them. It's one of the reasons why Saudi Arabia or Jordan won't take them. Because they also realize, too, that it's not just that philosophy that is toxic, but they realize, too, that Hamas terrorists are mixed in with these refugees. And that's why they're not taking them. So it's not the burden of the United States of America to take these refugees. Look, Israel does the job of letting these citizens know that they are going to come in on a military campaign and they need to get out of the way. And that actually puts the Israeli military at a detriment. Think about it. There's no surprise attack that the military can then use on Hamas targets. Hamas can look at this stuff and they get this information just like the citizens in Gaza get this information and say, okay, well, if they are going to attack here, then we're going to move our forces this way or we're going to try to then trap Israeli forces in this particular way. So it's giving them information that is beneficial to Hamas. But Israel still does it because they adhere to the rules of war in a way that Hamas or Hezbollah or Iran does not. We need to stop being Palestinian apologists. And those members in Congress that are Palestinian apologists that are so grossly anti-Semitic and they hide their anti-Semitism, they barely hide it, it's as obvious as it gets, behind their support for Palestine and a two-state solution, be very clear. There is no two-state solution when you have one state that wants to eliminate the other state and wants to eliminate Jews around the world. It is not viable. And it's not the Israelis that have not allowed it to be viable. It's the Palestinians that have not allowed it to be viable. It's Hamas and electing Hamas that has not allowed any type of a two-state solution to be viable. It's Hezbollah. And it is Iran that, is not, that has not allowed it 
to be viable. So I want to conclude today by talking a little bit about the United States Holocaust Museum. Uh, at the very end of the Trump administration, President Trump appointed me, uh, appointed a few other people that were in his administration, including a member of Congress who's been very outspoken about this, Max Miller. Max was somebody I worked with in the White House for four years, was recently elected to Congress from Ohio uh, to the board of the U.S. Holocaust Museum. And recently, there were a few dozen Holocaust survivors. Now, these Holocaust survivors, uh, they volunteer at the museum, and they spend a lot of their time talking to the school children that are coming on trips to the museum to learn about the atrocities of our Holocaust. They volunteer their time talking to them so that way they can actually meet a living Holocaust survivor. As we know, the Holocaust is now 80 years ago and you're looking over 80, well, just about 80 years ago, and you're looking at uh, more and more of these Holocaust survivors that are in their 80s uh, and in their 90s. And we know that a generation from now, There'll be very, very few, if any, that will still be alive on this earth. But they said and released a very poignant statement uh, at the museum just a couple of days ago, and I want to share that statement with you right now. We are Holocaust survivors who volunteer at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, sharing our experiences with the public. We are always gratified to see how much interest there is from young people from every part of the world. To hear their comments and questions gives us hope for the future. Today, as we see the murderous destruction in Israel, that hope is dimmed. All our lives we mourn for our loved ones lost to the genocidal actions of the Nazis and their collaborators, but we hoped the lessons of the past could shape a different future. Today, we mourn for Israel that holds such special meaning to us. In our youth, we were proud Jews in our communities throughout Europe. Eventually, that meant escape or certain death. We wanted to flee, but no one would take us. We longed for freedom and security, but there was no Jewish state. Today, the state of Israel is the guarantor of a Jewish future but it is under horrific assault by Hamas terrorists. Today, men, women, and children are again targeted as Jews. Today, we witness the worst killing of Jews since the Holocaust. This is not what we expected in this final chapter of our lives as we contemplate our legacy, the future of the Holocaust memory and education, and the future of our people. We write this letter to humanity and sorrow, but also in hope. We know pain, few can comp comprehend. Having seen our families and communities are liberated, we are living proof that the unthinkable is always possible. We are also living proof of resilience, that we can rebuild our fierce determination demonstrates. We must be realistic about the dangers, but we must never despair there would be victory for those seeking to destroy. That is why memory of edu and education became more important with each passing year and why we are proud of our contribution 
to fortify new generations to face the challenges that lie ahead. We promised our loved ones we would never forget and never give up, especially at this darkest and moments that remain our promises and our challenge to humanity. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Okay, well, I want to highlight one thing in particular there. We long for freedom and security, but there was no Jewish state. Today, the state of Israel is the guarantor of a Jewish future, but is under horrific assault by Hamas terrorists. Today, men, women, and children are again targeted as Jews. Today, we witness the worst killing of Jews since the Holocaust. As I said earlier, any of those people who stand by Hamas that are supporting them, we've seen educators, we've seen members of Congress, uh, they really need to, and I don't even know if they have the ability to do this, um, but they really need to look internally at themselves and realize what they're doing at this moment. Uh, they're, not, they're not oppressing uh, Israelites or Jews by doing that. They're not only doing that, I should say. Uh, but they are supporting a terrorist organization that looks to eradicate our Western way of life. Uh, and that starts with eliminating Jews off the face of the earth. But it ends also with their promise, which is death to America, death to democracy. We've heard a lot about that over the last three years, about how you know democracy dies in darkness. I've seen that. We've seen how they've used January 6th as this, you know, rallying cry and, and supporting democracy and, and how our members of Congress, you know, won't let it happen and, and how we will fight against Trump. Well, this really is right in democracy's backyard. When you think about what Israel has been able to accomplish in a sea of vipers and vicious terrorists around it, what they've been able to accomplish, we need to stand by Israel. And those aren't just words that we can say and then feel comfortable at night. We need to show it. We need to have their back. We need to make sure that we can do everything we can for Israel to make sure that they have a one-front battle right now with Hamas. That's where America comes in. That's where having your back, that's the literal definition of having your back. The Biden administration needs to make sure that Hamas does not take a step further, any more conflicts with Israel right now, and you do that, by saying to Iran, we're putting the snapbacks on you right now, more sanctions, you're not doing a darn thing, and you're not moving forward at all, because you realize what we're dealing with. We're dealing with terrorists that want to eradicate Jews from the face of the earth, and that want to end our American way of life. Believe these Holocaust survivors when you hear them, and make sure that we don't have a situation, again, where it seems like major sections of the world are targeting people for their faith, specifically Jews. They've been going through it for 5,000 years. We can stand by them, not just in words, 
but in actions. And that's what we need to do. Thank you very much for tuning into the Andrew Giuliani Show. We'll see you next week. And until then, have a great week and pray for our brothers and sisters in the state of Israel.